Hi, this is Matthias and today we discuss all things Tiny House with Nessa. Nessa is a young creator on YouTube living in Germany. A couple of years ago she started with her gaming channel and expanded to a second more personal channel on YouTube. There she follows her obsession of tiny house living and a frugal conscious lifestyle. Today we learn a lot on how it feels like living in a tiny house and how you could also approach building a tiny house if you want to. We also learn about her income streams and where she is on her way to financial freedom. I hope you like the interview and see you in a second. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta, and Matthias. So welcome everybody to another episode of the Financial Independence Euro podcast. Um, today we talk with Nessar about um, something that can really help you um, cut costs and also spend more time in nature and so on. So the topic would be Tiny house and Nessa is um, kind of YouTuber and just general human being. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, so we want to dive into the topic and um, yeah, gain some knowledge um, how to how it is to live in a high cost country in a tiny house. Um, how what costs are involved and um, yeah, how does it feel? So Nessa, um, why have you chosen to to live like that? Well, I think it's a couple of uh, factors. Uh, that come into play. First of all, I would say the fact that we do live in a high-cost country and we have a hard time uh, affording our own property, like the generation that I that I come from, is something that's always on your mind. So you always try to find alternatives that make uh, make sense for you personally. And once I came across tiny houses, I was thinking that maybe that was the one alternative that would eventually work for me. Like at least for I would say. Not maybe the long-term solution in terms of uh, until I retire or something, but in terms of a couple of years, and then we'll just see um, how it goes. And also, I think the second big biggest factor would be my uh, inclination towards minimalism, so that I don't really like to possess so many things. So all of my stuff is basically <laughs> centered around just one room, no matter how I live. So it makes sense to have a small room where everything yeah, is just on display and an overview and I don't have to run around several stories to just get get my stuff together. So yeah, I think these two things are basically the main reasons why that topic was so fascinating for me and why I got into it in the first place. Um, yeah, I can imagine that um, especially young people or in their 20s, they really have uh, problems as I'm living in Cologne to find a, to find a great um, place to live because it's so crazy expensive. We found a small flat, so I'm family, a small flat that is affordable, but we also was we were thinking several times about trying out to live in a tiny house, um, at least for a vacation. So what's the positive impact? It's just about cutting costs and um, yeah, just feeling more zen or more minimalist because you can't have that much stuff. Or um, yeah, what's the positive impact uh, outside of the uh, minimalism and the cost cutting? I think, yeah, for me, the one of the main things was to build something myself. So I was the one constructing uh, the whole thing um, along with my parents. So that was something that really pushed me forward in several uh, areas of my life. And it was like both about the experience and about the end results. So I had something that I could be working towards and at the same time make experiences that uh, I was probably not going to get anywhere else um, because it's, I, I mean, it's a huge project and you don't really know what you get yourself into. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was really fun. And every time I'm here and, and working or just, yeah, living my life, I look around and see all these things that I created. So that was, yeah, that's really like a big big benefit i would say if you we also talk a little bit about your uh, how your tiny house looks like but what's the um, thing in your tiny house from the interior or from furniture or whatever is where you the most proud of <laughs> that's a hard one <laughs> i would say there are some things that i really had to put a lot of work in so uh, i was really glad when <laughs> they were finished And one of the things is probably uh, the wardrobe because it was an old uh, locker that I got from 
the US Army and it was in a pretty bad state when I got it and I had to put in a lot of work and some things didn't really work out. So that was something that I was really glad about when they were, uh, once it was finished and uh, I really enjoy using it now because it's something that would have been thrown away. It was rusty and yeah, as I said, in a really bad state. So I'm just glad that I saved this one and uh, really enjoy using it. Yeah, I saw that in a, in a video. It looks like, um, yeah, vintage. Uh, many yeah, people exactly. would pay a lot of money for it um, <laughs> yeah. just to, to um, yeah, to have that in the, in, in the flat. I've also seen one thing that was most fascinating for me was your desk um, because I'm, I'm also, as many people are in, in, in Corona times, have to live at home. Mm. Um, they have to, um, yeah, to upcycle or to improve their, their, their home workplace. And um, you did a decent job, I would say. I was um, looking on the um, the website from uh, from the vendor of the desk, for example, Flexi mm -hmm. Desk. Was it called Flexi Spot? Flexi Spot, and um, yeah, you can you have just one or two plugs, in, and you can move the desk around in in your flat. It's pretty small. You have you can you can it's also a stand desk, so where you can stand. You have this uh, monitors that that don't take the space from your desk. They they are just hanging in the air. I would say. And yeah. Um, yeah, and you have the, the the whole YouTube equipment is also there, and you still have space, so it's uh, quite fascinating. But I could, I had to um, stop myself uh, in in, in <laughs> ordering <laughs> all the equipment. Yeah, so pretty that was pretty fascinating. Can you also walk us um, a little bit through the process um, when you started to with planning the tiny house and um, who was helping? What steps you need to take uh, uh, regarding legal or mm -hmm. um, vendors who could build this, uh, what uh, construction plans and so on. So that must have taken two years or three years? One year? uh, yeah, it's almost, yeah, almost uh, three years um, since I started like with the whole process. Um, I would say it's a lot that goes into uh, building a house and it might look like just something tiny and small, so not something that you have to put too much effort in, but eventually it turns out to be just like a normal house. Maybe not that extreme, but it's a lot of work and a lot of also, as you said, legal issues and um, just planning issues that you have to uh, to tackle. Like, uh, I think the most important thing that I had to uh, make sure before I started was that my parents were <laughs> on board because one, I needed someone to help me with building and two, I also needed a place to park the house because I was not um, entirely sure where I would put it in the end, like for, for a longer period of time. And it's not so easy to find a parking spot because it has to be uh, uh, building land. So you can't just put it anywhere. You have to um, get like uh, plumbing and stuff uh, done and you have to connect to, to the system basically. So you need a normal water supply and power supply from from the authorities. So they have to uh, then, you know, give the permission that you use the land for your tiny house. So it's all not as easy as, as it might seem on the, on the first, like the first look. Um, so that was certainly something that I had to look into. And then of course, planning the house. So it's not just like, I'm going to put something together and see how it works. You have to do uh, proper research, how to distribute the weight on your trailer. So it doesn't, you know, cause any issues when you when you drive around with it you have to make sure that it's stable and it's not gonna fall apart once you uh, hit your brakes really hard when you drive around it so yeah that's all something that um that i had to look into luckily i would say i was working with a workshop they construct tiny houses uh, commercially so they sell it and they sometimes have a free spot in their workshop and they rent it out for people uh like me who just want to yeah you just want to live uh want to build on their own and they give you advice but you have to provide labor yourself so you're going to do everything on your own but uh, they will you know tell you what to do step by step if you need any help and that was really uh helpful because we could copy one of their plans that they had for a house so we knew that everything was covered you know in terms of the construction side and and that everything was secure and was gonna Uh, gonna carry its own weight and stuff like that but yeah we we relied heavily on on them in terms of resources uh, which we could buy there so that was really helpful and everything else uh, apart from the outer shell we just did ourselves so we brought the house home 
to where I am now. And then we yeah, continued working on it by ourselves. And I finished, I would say, around spring last year. And then from there on, it was yeah, slowly moving in. And now I'm uh, full-time living since, I would say, November, around November. So yeah, pretty long process, but it was totally worth it. And when maybe I missed it, but when did you start to, for example, to do your research and do this, this workshop? Um, so the research, I think, was uh, started in 2017, around the time that we are in now. And uh, the building took place from October 2017. So that was almost three years ago or two and a half years ago, basically. Mm -hmm. So you just did some research on the Internet. Um, maybe you also lived before in, in a tiny house or I've seen other people and then uh, you, you booked that workshop and that makes maybe sense uh, because you don't have to acquire all the knowledge and you have some yeah some some proven models or also construction plans or people to exactly. ask um, because you don't want to live in a tiny house that is uh, is broken um, in the yeah. next uh, storm <laughs> exactly <laughs> Um, so, I mean, if you buy a uh, build a house, you also go to somebody who uh, has built a house in the past. Does that make sense? And is there any authority that in the end has to approve the house? Actually, we're talking about two different things. So one thing would be everything that's concerned with the transport of the house. So when you, when you finish the build, or ideally before that, um, you will have to decide whether it's going to be a normal trailer or something more like uh, a camping trailer uh, in terms of like the legal definition. So um, if you decide it's going to be illegal, uh, like a, a camping trailer stuff, then you need to tick some boxes, I would say, for the TÜV, which is the German authority in terms of legal <laughs> so legal uh, vehicle stuff. And you will, you will have to get their permission that it is actually going to be a camping trailer. It does have some benefits if you if you get that permission. Um, so you have to make sure that stuff like exits, like proper exits in terms of a fire or something, and they will check that. They will see if the brakes are working properly and stuff. So that's one thing. And it's important for transport because you only can move the trailer if you have a permit to, to put it onto the street. You can't just build something and then put it out there. And number two would be uh, the permit as house. So once you put it on someone's building ground or, or on the land, then it would actually become, yeah, pretty much something like a house. So the process is the same as uh, when you try to get permits for building your own, yeah, your own house to live in. Yeah. So basically the same, like the same process, I would say. Um, and your house is a permanent house or a camping trailer? So actually both. It's For transport, it's it's a camping trailer. But okay. once I put it somewhere, uh, it's becoming a house, no matter the, the transport status. So the kind of the deciding factor is always how you use it. When someone's going to live in there permanently, then it's going to turn into a house, no matter like the construction side of it. Do you have a letterbox or an, an address? Yeah, I would actually... <laughs> and not at the moment, because it's still in the driveway of my parents, basically. Um, so it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit kind of an, an makeshift position at the moment. But if I was going to uh, like li permanently live here, then I would, yes, have to become a, like a normal resident and get letterbox and, and number and all these things that you have in, around the house. And uh, yeah. I have a perfect idea. You can have this um, tiny house on wheels. And then you don't have to pay tax in Germany because you can move in uh, move um, every three months or four months and to a different country like Germany, Netherlands, France, Germany, Netherlands, France, and then you don't have to pay tax. That <laughs> yeah. would be great. Only my like my house is really big, so I don't want to move it all the time, and it's it's a bit complicated, um, especially because it's not self sufficient. So every time I get somewhere, I would have to hook up to um, supplies. But people who um, who have self-sufficient homes and have tanks in their house and they can rely on on the water tank for uh, a short while or have solar power and stuff like that, that mm. would make sense for them um, to to do stuff like that. But in my case, I mean, the house is, what, 10 meters long? So it's not really <laughs> something that you want to put out on the street every two weeks. Mm. 
And what are the, the costs um, that are involved? So how much do you pay on a monthly basis? Is there some insurance you have to pay for on some yearly costs? So what's what's the, the um, yeah what's on in your balance sheet for the, for the house for living costs? Yeah, I would say in, in the transport section, it's uh, taxes, um, but that's not really a whole lot because they don't charge you as much for for camping trailer and insurance, obviously, which is also not a whole lot. So that can really be put off the <laughs> off the chart. It's not it's not really uh, counting anything. But apart from these two, I would say you do have to have insurance because if that's going to be your house, then you want to insure it the same way uh, as let's say your flat or something, because once something happens and all your stuff is gone, you do want to make sure that you're going to get it back. So I would say that's something that you have to put into consideration. And that's maybe in terms of money, that's maybe something around what you would pay for uh, a mobile home insurance. So it's not the same amount as for a complete, like a whole entire house, obviously, because it's not the same material value, but it is something that you have to consider. Um, and apart from that, it's, I would say, the normal costs that you have in your own flat in terms of uh, electricity and water and uh, what else? Yeah, heating. I mean, heating is maybe a bit more because it's it's got outer walls like on every side. So it's not as in, in a normal flat where you have other flats uh, covering it. But it's still, I would think, in a decent uh, range. So, yeah, should be around the normal, like the normal monthly costs. So like you would say it's just like a normal normal uh, flat that you could maybe a little bit cheaper because um, of the smaller footprint so you yeah, have obviously. less heating costs and so on okay so you just save on on the rent it's in general because you don't have to rent in a in a high cost um, town or exactly so i would say the most yeah the most uh the biggest money factor in this case is really the rent and i mean obviously you built this thing so it did cost a lot of money. Um, in my case, it was around uh, 30, uh, 35,000 marks. So when I live in it full time for five years, maybe a bit more, then I kind of have completely worked it off because it's the rent that I would normally pay for a flat that is about the size that you can usually get for one person. That would be the same amount after about five mm. years. So once you exceed that uh, time span, uh, you're actually like saving. But I would consider it saving uh, Either way, because it's my personal space, it's not like I'm renting something and then I have to give it up once I move out. It's something that's completely my own and everything that's inside of here, I can use in any space. I could just use that kitchen in another flat if I wanted to. So it's it's not like if I lived in here for three years and then moved out, I would lose money, quote unquote. It's I would say I actually already made kind of a benefit. Mm -hmm. And um, so, if if you would um, yeah, live in a tiny house, you normally you you maybe not parking it in a in a big town like Cologne, Berlin, and so on. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you normally maybe yeah you are in a smaller town or some village or in the in the woods if there's some allowance. And if you would compare it to the costs of renting something in the rural areas, even in Germany, I think in the rural areas you have a pretty low rent even right now so if you compare that to the um tiny house costs is it still worth it yeah i would say it's it's um yeah the rent would probably be lower but then again i'm not as flexible like if i want to move to another place i would have to uh quit the rent there move to another place get new furniture because the old one wouldn't fit and then You know, it's it's just a different process. Obviously, there's not as many parking spots at the moment for tiny houses all around Germany. So you can't just move within a matter of two weeks uh, to a new place. But the infrastructure is coming. And I think in a couple of years, it will be a lot easier than it is now. Um, so it's, yeah, it's going to be really, I think, or I hope it's going to be really simple uh, to just pack your house up with everything that's inside of it and you don't have to make any adjustments and just uh, move to the new place and get started. And I think that's one of the, yeah, just one of the benefits. So you, so you say, uh, you mentioned that tiny houses or simple living is a, is a mega trend um, and there's currently some providers that adapt to the demand uh, of tiny house owners and mm -hmm. they provide, they have different spaces tailored to, to the needs of the tiny house owners and um, you can just move from one space to another place And then you can 
get the water and get the energy and so on. So is, is, is there something like that happening? Yeah, right exactly. So it's, it's still, I think a lot of it is still under construction and in development, but um, you can already see that there's uh, tiny house villages and parks and, and uh, camping-like structures uh, coming mm. up. And I think it's going to be a lot more in the future because the, as you say, it's, it's not just a passing trend. Um, I've been in this community around, uh, I would say, three years now since I started building. And I really see uh, how it it keeps attracting more people. So um, it's only growing. And we have we have people like gathering as groups and, and trying to uh, to get the attention of politicians in terms of what we would need as tiny house owners uh, in, in terms of legal stuff. And, and you know, so... I think um, there's going to be a lot happening in, in the next couple of years. And yeah, then it's going to be a lot easier to just find a place to to park it mm. and, and to to live. Because at the moment, most people uh, need to find private solutions. So they either buy land or rent it out from someone and then put their house there. And yeah, I think it's, yeah, <laughs> it's probably going to be easier in, in two or three years. Yeah, we need some more lobbyism in, in the exactly. EU Parliament or Germany, yeah. um, or some some Bundesverband. You, I, I can't translate it. Some organization that um, yeah that uh, takes care of the interests of of tiny house. Yeah, we actually owners. have that now. They just oh, really? uh, founded it in yeah I think a couple of months back, and uh, it's it just keeps growing. So yeah, I'm really positive. <laughs> I like these um, these. Bundesverbands or these yeah, institutions that help um, people around the topic because you can get membership fees. <laughs> it's, <laughs> a great, it's a great business model to have not yeah, without working too much, maybe just in the beginning. Sounds, um, sounds interesting for me. And um, what is the, um, I mean, you, you don't have a lot of space in it. Um, so you have to maximize um, how you use it and which, which mechanisms do you have in place um, to to use or to leverage on the space you have available? I would say um, most of it is really about priorities um, already once you're building it. So you have to make sure that you meet uh, the top, I would say top three maybe uh, priorities that you have in your daily life and then build everything else around it. So in my case, the priorities were Number one, a kitchen that I could actually work in, so not just a tiny, small thing that you have in the normal uh, one-person apartments. And then uh, the working space, that was really important to me because I'm working on this desk a lot. So it had to be ergonomic and it had to yeah, just meet my, my needs in, in everyday work life. And then number three would be uh, the bigger bed and downstairs because most tiny houses have their bed upstairs in the loft and I didn't want that because it's the warmest place in summer and I'm not really <laughs> I don't really love uh, sleeping warm so I had to put it downstairs and I, I kind of tailored the whole thing around these three things and it actually worked out and I'm really happy with the, the layout but then again you do have to make sacrifices on things that um, maybe are not as important to you so my bathroom is really small and I have this dining area, quote unquote, which is really just a folding table and two chairs. Because when I'm alone at home, which is most of the cases, I don't really need the dining table. So I just fold it away. But if someone really loves dining and, and having guests over, then maybe that would not be the ideal solution. So it's always about what you need in, in daily life. Normally you can eat outside. That was also the idea with my small flat, small flat that you can use a co-working space or you can go to a restaurant or a coffee shop um, just to extend um, the space you use over the space you have in your flat. But right now that is not possible um, due to this corona thingy. Yeah. Um, I hope it's, it's changing um, also soonish. Um, yeah. What I have also seen is that you have a foldable uh, bed. So that's also something you can also cons consider for your flat that you have uh, maybe in your bedroom, you have a foldable foldable bed, and then you could also have a, a working desk there. Exactly, because I think uh, the bed is something that normally you don't use unless you're sleeping. And when you're not sleeping, the only thing that it does is it gets dusty and uh, things are going to get thrown onto it. So <laughs> you can't use it when it's, you know, when it's dark and you want to go to sleep. So it makes sense to just fold it away. In my case, I don't do that 
like on a daily basis. I just fold it up when I need stuff that's under there, which is in the storage. But for every normal flat, I would suggest, uh, especially for the small flats, I would suggest the classic Murphy bed, which is just easy to fold up. And um, yeah, it just makes for a cleaner, cleaner room and a lot more room to do sports and stuff like that. What is the Murphy bed? Yeah, it's called Murphy bed. So it's basically uh, like the it's almost self-folding uh, ah, sort of thing, uh, folding okay. bed. You can yeah. also buy that at Ikea. Is that true? Maybe. <laughs> I, I'm not ex exactly sure, but it's actually a pretty common uh, thing. So you can yeah, just Google it and, <laughs> and see for yourself. So how, how would you say, um, as I have a family, um, do you think it's a good idea to, um, to move as a family into a, a tiny house? So personally, I'm not a big fan of, of several people in just one room. Uh, so that's maybe <laughs> just personal preference. <laughs> Because I, um, especially with the work that I'm doing, it doesn't make sense to have someone around uh, while I'm filming. Or I mean, you just get on everybody else's nerves <laughs> if you just keep talking to a camera, for example. So in my everyday life, it just wouldn't be feasible. You have to have several rooms. What I do, I mean, I, I have a partner and he has his own flat. So we um, just keep switching basically between our two places. And that makes sense. So for me, that's the way it works best. I would say with uh, children, especially if they get to a certain age, they do want to have their own private space. And it's really hard to accommodate that in a tiny house, especially in Germany, because they tend to be not as big, uh, as tiny big as uh, the American ones. And in the American ones, you sometimes see these separate rooms upstairs or something. This is hardly feasible in, in German tiny houses. So then I think that would be an issue. If if it's just just a baby, then I would say you spend most of the time together anyway. But from a certain age on, I think, yeah, it's going to be a bit difficult. No, you just need two tiny houses um, <laughs> in the same town. Exactly. And, and you, have also, you have also the, um, you have your partner, so you could, if you, if you're bored with your um, tiny house, you could move to <laughs> your partner's flat. Or you, you also mentioned that um, that you use the um, the um, property of your of your parents, so you could also sometimes, maybe not too often, also to uh, visit them, have a cake, and then <laughs> yeah. go. Especially when when it's there are thunderstorms outside, maybe you can. Yeah, you can do that. But it's pretty, you, you mentioned on YouTube, it's pretty solid. So you don't have to f have fear about the weather conditions, no, storms and all. so on. No. So and we had also some bad weather conditions in the, in the last 12 months in Germany. So it's still... No, it's not still a problem there. at all. I mean, it's always about the way you construct it. But um, a thing that's so heavy on the, on the lower side of the building, it's not going to fall over um, during a storm. So yeah, that's not going to be an issue. All right, so um, I hope that covers a lot of um, yeah the tiny house topics. I think there are pretty much more interesting things to dive into, like the, the heating, or maybe we dive into the heating <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> I assume many people think that the, the walls are pretty thin. So in in winter you must have um, yeah you, a lot of you use the heating a lot, and maybe you have also dry air because you um, use the heating so much and in summer it's really um, it's really hot also winter pretty cold cold do you think it's it's true or what have you what mechanisms do you have in place to avoid that yeah i think again it's always about how you construct it and i was uh pretty conscious about the choice of materials and uh the combination of materials also it's not just something it's always a combination of factors i would say uh so yes the walls are thinner than in a normal house obviously because you have to have Uh, an eye on the weight of the trailer and it can't exceed 3.5 tons in Germany. So there's going to be a lot of compromises in terms of weight. But I found that it works uh, the way I constructed it. It works really well. Um, so my walls are just 10 centimeters and I have um, mineral wool as an insulation, which works, I would say, pretty good in the winter. Maybe not as good in the summer, especially when you have a sun burning you know, outside of the house onto the facade, but that's fine. And then what's also important is uh, it works well for sound isolation. So I don't have any issues with, um, you know, neighbors talking or stuff like that. So that's good. In terms of heating and, and moisture and stuff, I didn't really have any issues so far at all. So my humidity inside the home is usually between 50 and 60%, which is just fine. And it doesn't really change between summer and winter. So that's good. I think it has to do with uh, the wooden walls because they 
tend to balance the thing a lot and I try to uh, keep the wood exposed as much as I could so that would, you know, even things out. Yeah, and I mean, in the summer, it does get warm, so there's no denying that, but I just open the windows and um, I kind of get used to it. It's not as burning hot as you would imagine. It's just warm, but every flat that's under the roof is going to get warm as well. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. And and you mentioned that um, that your house is connected to everything locally, so you don't have a mobile toilet, you don't have your, um, um, yeah, you don't have your mobile power supply and so on. Um, would you recommend not doing the mobile toilet um, energy and so on thing and, and keep it locally connected? Uh, I think it depends what you want to do with the house. When you try to get a permit to live permanently in it on just one place, then it doesn't make sense to have uh, water shanks and stuff because you're going to have to get the uh, connection to uh, your local system anyways. It's just something that you have to do. So you have to... Um, to get these pipes into uh, into the land anyway. So then you can as well use them because with water tanks, I mean, it's a lot more more work and you have to get someone to fill it up and stuff. I mean, solar is a different thing because solar systems, you can always get one. It doesn't matter if, you, if you're mobile or not. But everything else is just a more of a nuisance <laughs> if you try to get uh, off-grid uh, than if you live on-grid. So if I was to uh, travel around a lot more, then I would probably go for the off-grid version But since I'm more stationary, I just didn't didn't bother as much. I do have what they call composting toilet, so uh, diverting toilet. But um, that was just basically for fun to try it out, and it was not because I had to uh, to have kind of the mobile version. But right now you have a, a normal to toilet. No, I do have the the uh, diverting toilet, so it's okay. um, it's hooked up to just to wastewater, but not mm -hmm. um, like I don't have to flush it. So it's it's kind of low low water. Mm -hmm. toilet is that annoying or is it <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's just something that you have to get used to um because mm -hmm. obviously we are used to having the flushing toilet but um it's i would say pretty easy to use and it kind of does save on water but it has other costs so it's just something that i don't mm. know it's just something that i wanted to try um and uh because i found it a good idea but uh not a whole lot of people are using it right now so it might not have an impact on the way we use water in general And um, <clears throat> so you're also kind of addicted to the zero waste movement, I would say. <laughs> I would. I haven't seen a video of zero waste, but maybe you are addicted to it. So what? If yes, so let maybe you can tell me five things that normal people use that are not zero waste and how you replaced it. Yes, yeah, so I do. Um, I do embrace low waste uh, products, especially because. In terms of cosmetics and stuff, I have always been very minimalistic. So a lot of the things that people use, I just don't use at all. Uh, like showering gel or something, I just never in my life really used it. So I don't have to replace it with anything. Um, but I would say like the easiest swap for me was shampoo uh, in a plastic bottle and switch to uh, uh, like a shampoo bar, which is solid thing that you can rub with water and then it's just gonna ladder up just like every normal shampoo would and this swap was easy because my mother is uh, making them so I know what's in them and uh, she has refined her recipes and it, it just really works super well so that's what I'm using and the same is obviously with, with uh, normal soap so I use her own soaps because she's making a ton of soaps <laughs> so you have to have so you have the selection on your hands and um, apart from that Yeah, it's, it's a lot of, I would say, small things. So hankies, in my, um, in my case, I use them, make them from, uh, from cloth and not from paper. So they're not going to be thrown away. They're going to be washed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's stuff like that. I would say that's most important because that has the most impact because you use it daily. And everything else mm. is something that um, I try to do, but... Um, if I don't have the option available in my place, then I'm not going to fret about it and, you know, mm. be sad because you know you ha you only have so many um, so many things that you can do in your daily life. And I just try to make the best. But you know, it's um, I think it's much much easier right now um, to yeah apply these zero or low waste options as as you can find it also in your day to day life now because there's increasing demand and it's much easier to get uh, some shampoo bar for example yeah, exactly. um, it's also easy to get a um, toothbrush without plastic 
Um, you can go to the drugstore um, just normally. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, toilet paper would also be a good idea. <laughs> yeah, these some days. people use these, uh, yeah. these uh, yeah. just, you know, but Schlauch. I don't know. It's showers. in German, it's a, it's a Schlauch. Uh, what's a Schlauch? A, a tube to, to clean your butt. Um, especially if you can't Basically, buy yeah. toilet paper. <laughs> but I think that's... Um, Mm, that's a holy grail. I think it's not the the way uh, you would start normally <laughs> your, your <laughs> exactly. low waste low waste journey. <laughs> yeah, so interesting. Um, I, I think there are pretty, pretty uh, there are a lot of more options like a, like a, 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 a reusable bottle and so on. Oh yeah, exactly. I use that one as well. Sometimes I don't even think of, of these things because they are pretty normal in my life, so I don't you know yeah. consciously think about it. But yeah, I'm not using uh, bottled water. Yeah, I was just thinking about it because the neighbor was ordering like 10 or maybe 100 liters of water um, to put in the flat. And yeah, yeah, it was kind of ridiculous why you order <laughs> water because it's delivered uh, for free to your yeah. uh, to your doorsteps. So um, you also, do you also know about the financial independence movement? Have you um, yeah, digged into the topic in the internet maybe or some friends uh, talking about it? Um, what do you think about it? Well, that's actually uh, like the next step that's on my list. Uh, so it's interesting uh, that we have this conversation right now because I am currently in the process of deciding where my money is going to go next. And it's not that I have a lot of money to spend, uh, but I do want to uh, make sure that I that I make my my rational choices about um, like savings and stuff like that because I need to uh, to make sure, especially as a freelancer, uh, that I don't get to pay the bill later. Uh, as I would say, if I just uh, don't earn enough money at the moment, I can't really, you know, have a lot of savings. So once I'm, let's say, 65, then I might regret it. So I do have to make uh, conscious choices at the moment. And I do look into being more financially independent, which I think the tiny house was basically the first step towards that direction, because I know that I can basically always keep this as like my my home. Um, as long as I have a parking spot for it and I don't have to pay um, as much rent so I can spend money on other things or invest it and this is basically the next step that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you you, you checked uh, some of the boxes as you, um, the first step would also be to to cut your costs and you have your own property, you don't exactly. have to pay on rent. Um, that's pretty good. Um, how old are you? If I maybe am uh, I'm class. 28, so yeah. It's about time I uh, think about these things because <laughs> I haven't like I haven't paid into any of these normal uh, mm. pensions that you get from the state. I maybe I would say around twenty bucks or something that's in there for me. Um, yeah, that's not. Whole <laughs> yeah, <lot>. but um, <laughs> in Germany, uh, I think other countries have better options um, to um, to prepare for retirement um, from from the government. I think uh, our options in Germany uh, are pretty insufficient. I mean. Yeah, maybe for especially for, for freelancers, I would say for freelancers, the option for employees uh, with a low salary are kind of okay, but uh, everyone else is, I think, has to prepare um, on their own. Yeah, except you want to, um, yeah, to leave some money on the table. But what you also did is um, that you have a diversified uh, revenue stream, um, as I've yeah. seen on YouTube. So what are your, maybe for the audience, what are your revenue streams? Um, you mentioned freelancing, but is mm -hmm. there anything else? Yeah, so I started out uh, not relying on YouTube at all. So that was just a side hustle. I was uh, making my money off of various different jobs. I was not working in any of the professions that I actually trained for. So that's, you know, things happen. But um I made money from uh, being a stage worker, um, which I still do. But at the moment, obviously, it's not going to happen because, you know, everything is shut down. Um, and I also did freelance working as uh, a writer. I sometimes did video stuff uh, even before I was uh, doing YouTube and um, just, you know, smaller side hustles. So like uh, being an extra for uh, TV shows or stage productions and stuff like that. So all untrained uh, jobs that just kept me uh, going and I was developing YouTube uh, on the sidelines and now YouTube is my main uh, source of income but still I try to uh, be as diverse about my income as possible so I'm not just relying on ad revenue I'm also doing collaborations with uh, companies 
that I seem fit for uh, for my audience and that I can feel like I can uh, you know endorse with their with their values. And I also uh, do our audience uh, funding, so they basically uh, support my channel with a monthly fee, and they get something in return. Um, what else? So what? Yeah, what, 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 what? Well, yeah. Please go ahead. Yeah. Also, um, currently writing uh, an ebook on digital minimalism, and then I want to dispute that on my channel as well. So it's just a couple of different things because you always have to make sure that uh, if one stream of revenue is going to go you're not going to be completely broke. So that's, uh, I think, really important. I'm also um, producing videos for other people. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's always like a different... And you have two YouTube channels, so at least exactly. uh, some diversification there. Yeah. Um, the second one was a gaming channel. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, like, um, yeah. Um, that would be good if I would be in the interview because he's also, um, yeah, um, streaming on Twitch. Oh, okay. Um, so... But I cannot say much about it because I have kids, so I have to play offline. <laughs> uh, today, for example, with chalk on the streets because the kindergartens are closed. So um. we have to take care of them, um, which is a great experience <coughs> often. And um, yeah, so, so you're kind of financially free, I would say. You know, well, you, have your, you have your income. Okay, you can't stop. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you, so it's not at the point that I can just say I'm going to retire now and not do anything. But I mean, it's obviously uh, it's it's in development because most of the revenue that you get from uh, from ads is, mm -hmm. at least in my case, is from older videos. So um, some of the income is still going to remain if I was suddenly to stop. But obviously things like collaborations or um, mm. subscriber funding, stuff like that would break away. Mm. We have also some some bloggers in the community and they, they also maybe want to monetize or thinking about something like that. So how would you say, uh, what are great benefits you can offer your audience in, in a Patreon membership or so? So what, what are people willing to pay? For our audience is not willing to pay because they want to be financially independent, but <laughs> Other audiences, <laughs> they might um, be interested um, in, in additional value uh, in, in the Patreon membership. So what are your experience there? Yeah, so I would say uh, it's mostly about the connection with the creator. Uh, what I, At least what I found from other channels and from my own is that people usually want to have the opportunity to talk to you uh, more in person about certain topics that they are interested in. Because some of the things you uh, you experience, you just can't get across on YouTube. So you try to make a video about a certain topic, but it's not going to be, in the end, it's not going to be um, as personal as if you just talk to someone about it. So that's what these people are usually trying to get. And I think that's a cool thing because that's usually what I'm trying to get when I uh, support another creator, which is also what I do uh, with a couple of channels, even though I am self, like myself trying to, to be financially independent. But... Yeah, so, so I think it's a lot about uh, the personal connection to to that person and uh, sometimes also community building. So people don't just want to hear what you have to say, but they also want to connect with people who have the same topics on their mind. And I think that's what I'm trying to go for in my case. Uh, I'm also building a Discord server, uh, which is where people can hang out and uh, discuss things of various natures and uh, discuss it with uh, me or with other people around the, the channel. And it's just a, a visual space, I would say, uh, where people yeah, can feel like they're not alone with, uh, with the topics that are on their minds. So that's a nice thing. And I would say that's those are the main things that people uh, come back to. Mm -hmm. So it's not, not too hard. I mean, it's just a closed community and... Um some personal so access to your expertise um, that they can ask for their individual situation. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like a like a coaching, but not one to one coaching, maybe, but yeah, kind of coaching. Yeah, because it's um like for me, it's getting harder and harder to answer to uh to reply to any email that I get because I usually I, I just get a lot of of very specific questions about tiny houses and if I was to reply to all of them <laughs> I would not be working anymore uh, because it's it's just too much so I just try to make it as accessible as possible um, so it's in my case it's just one one dollar or one euro uh, a month and people can join the server so it's really not a whole lot of money and everything else that I 
uh, offer, which is like um, dedicated live streams for for people who pay a tiny bit more uh, per month. This is just uh, extra. So if people don't need that, then they don't have to. So I just try to make it self-sufficient in terms of money, but I'm not trying to squeeze money out of uh, people because I don't want to be that person. Like I want to make it useful and uh, and reasonable. Yeah, and sustainable in, in terms of reputation also for the long term. You don't want yeah. to be... Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so that's uh, pretty interesting. So we, um, yeah, we covered tiny house, we covered... Uh, your your term, um, the, the low waste um, topic and also um, what your revenue streams are, yeah. where you want to be in the future. And um, yeah, maybe some final thoughts. Um, also interesting, this revenue, um, because you're an influencer, maybe you hit also in the uh, minimal channel, you hit like 50k subscribers, which is really a yeah, decent amount of uh, <laughs> subscriber. And that and you, you built it in two years? Uh, it's... It's almost three years now uh, on my tiny house channel. So and how, how much time do you dedicate uh, per day to the to the channel? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I started out not uh, with not as much, obviously, because the gaming channel was my first one. So that mm. was the main channel until I started building the house. Because then, obviously, mm. uh, priorities changed a little. But I I would say ever since last last year, uh, mm. I it's like a full-time job so i don't work i would say i don't work for 40 hours but that's never mm. been uh the goal anyways so mm. um it's a lot <laughs> it's also a good example for that you that you acquire skills in one domain or and and you can apply it also in another domain for example you you learned something in in your gaming channel and then you transferred these um yeah these skills into for a completely different topic like yeah. uh, minimalism and um, yeah, that's um, and that's. I think it's pretty often that that happens. So people could also think about what are they currently doing and how could they apply these skills um, to a different um, domain. Exactly. Yes. Um, in 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 order to grow. So that's um, yeah, good good example. So let's finish it up. And <laughs> our standard questions in the end are: Where can people find you online? So where where do we want people to to find you? So uh, yeah, I think the main thing, uh, the landing page for everything is YouTube. So if you uh, search for Nessa Elessa, so E L E S S A R, you're gonna be finding me on on YouTube and everything else is linked there. Like my my other socials, uh, Instagram and stuff. It's the same name. So it's, I think it's pretty easy to find me. Yeah, we also link it in the show notes then. And because I think you also did a lot in about personal development and also, yeah, yeah to improve yourself, maybe health, maybe um, also in terms of money, um, how to deal with money. What is one resource that maybe not everyone is using that you can recommend for people who want to be financially independent or generate passive income? Or just start with, um, yeah, to lower the cost by yeah, living a minimal lifestyle. Is there any resource, a podcast book, whatever? Uh, yeah, I would say currently um, still my all-time favorite. One of my all-time favorites um, is the YouTube channel from Matt Diavella. He's a minimalist, uh, obviously. And he also tackles other questions like finances. And he always has guests, or not always, but most of the time has guests um, who are really experienced in their fields. And he interviews them. And incorporates that into his own videos. And I think I always you always get inspired, um, be it to be more reasonable with your finances or be more minimalist. And uh, so, yeah, I would totally recommend that channel. Wonderful. Um, I'm not sure how to write, but you can send me the link and uh, <laughs> I will put yeah. it in the show notes too. Um, is there one actionable tip for someone who just started on the path to FI? Or maybe you can also, we can derive it and say, on the, your path to minimalism or to passive income? Well, I would say, um, at least in my case, uh, minimalism came way before any thoughts about financial independence because um, I was trying to get an overview of what I have and then make decisions about money uh, in the aftermath because sometimes the possessions, the physical possessions that you have just take up most of your money. Um, so I would suggest to start uh, with the possessions and just really go into... What do I need? What do I value? And everything else just usually can go. Um, and that's, for me, that's like a starting point. And that can be in your closet or in, in your bookshelf or any place that tends to accumulate stuff that you don't really need or use. 
So just walk uh, through your flat or maybe you, you it's a desktop of your computer. Yeah, uh, that as well. <laughs> the down, download folder, yeah. um, the, the, the pictures. Uh, I've uh, discovered a, a program to um, de detect um, duplicates in your oh, yeah. picture library um, that can also save a lot of uh, space there. And I this, this digital mess is really... I think for me, it's really annoying. Yeah. Um, I have to um, tackle that um, because uh, the offline space is, is already kind of minimalized. <laughs> and that's maybe good for people to um, yeah to look into your book because um, that was also about digital minimalism. Yeah, digital minimalism. I'm still writing on it, but I hope it's going to be uh, published in a couple of months at least, maybe a couple of weeks. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward. And um, thank yeah. you very much, Nessa, for the yeah, interview. Thank you. And yeah, see you soon. Bye-bye. See you. Hey Matthias, do you think there are no enough financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddits, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is in the end the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe Podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe Podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.